Do you love watching sports highlights? Five Star, the world's first sports highlight rating app is here. Athletes and fans can share, view, and rate the best sports highlights between one and five stars. The app is comment-free and has athletes of all skill levels, even pros like Kylie O'Miller, Kyle Harrison, and the 2022 PLL MVP, Trevor Baptiste. Download Five Star Highlights to earn yours. Quintessential Podcast. We march into March. Uh, coming off what was a pretty interesting weekend. Uh, tough one for the Ivy League with Yale, Princeton, and Penn dropping games. Virginia looked like the number one team in the country with a win against Ohio State down in Naples. There were 3,500 fans there. Loyola loses to Rutgers. So right now it looks like Virginia's one, Notre Dame's two. Game of the week will be Maryland and Notre Dame. I'll be at Hopkins uh, as St. Joe's comes to town, the Hawks. And let's bring in uh, our esteemed guests, Paul Carcaterra, fresh off a Carolina-Syracuse game in the Dome. And Chris Cotter, who was uh, down in the, at the St. James in Virginia all week long, covering what was uh, an amazing Sixes uh, event. Uh, Cotter, I want to start with you, man. Uh, I, I found myself glued to the app, glued to ESPN2. The relentless pace of those games at first I thought was tiring. Then I kind of got used to it. And the the playmaking I, I just found to be just riveting. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same as you. Like, I didn't think – well, it was exhausting, obviously, for me every single minute. I mean, I was like the FedEx guy in the, those old commercials, the fastest talker in the world. But it was like five minutes in, I was like, this exceeds all my expectations. It was just entertaining, you know. It's really kind of – if I want to look at a big picture, it was kind of like this is a nice respite from everything that we're doing in the winter, even though it's been a nice winter for most people. It's like winter kind of sucks. You're waiting for lacrosse to start. Um, you know, the PLL is going to be in the summer. You know, the world championships are going to be in the summer. How about five days more of something just totally different that can kind of get your mind off of everything else and just enjoy it? And I know a lot of people out there are like that's not real lacrosse and kind of up in arms about it, but. You know what's better than more lacrosse? Even more lacrosse. So why not just enjoy it for what it is? Kark, I know you watched. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. I think for starters, anyone who says it's not real lacrosse is, is off. Lacrosse can be played in a varied way. And I think I was taken back by the pace and the relentless approach, but I also thought to myself, like, this is what youth lacrosse should look like. I think all kids, boys and girls, sixth grade, seventh grade and under should be playing this style of lacrosse where they get tons of touches. They're all in the action. I can't tell you how many games I've been to watching youth lacrosse where a kid can stand around for essentially a whole game and touch the ball two or three times. Everyone is forced into action. So why don't we have sixes as, as an offshoot or as something that can be played in addition to the field game? And I know some people are like, oh, that's three versions. Then you have field sixes and box. That's okay. They all can kind of dovetail into each other and make the game at the highest level, regardless, much better. Because I think it's a skill-specific sport, and the more touches you get, the better. That was one takeaway. Another takeaway I had was a lot of people, including me, were a little skeptical in terms of how many guys were missing because of the NLL, the Pro Indoor League. I actually think, and after talking to some people, it was a little bit of a positive. Every single person on those fields at the St. James had something to prove. They played like their last lacrosse life was on the brink. And to me, 
that's worth something. I don't need to see an, another version of, of, of lacrosse that's played in a exhibition type of environment. Those guys went at it. They played with every ounce of energy they had. And you heard Romar Dennis when he was awarded the golden stick. He said he had a chip on his shoulder. He was a healthy scratch a bunch of times last year in the PLL last summer. And you could tell he played with purpose. And he wasn't the only one who was playing with purpose. So I thought that was, was something that originally could have been a little bit of an issue. Like, oh, you don't have Jeff T. You don't have Josh Byrne. You don't have Dane Smith. All these great indoor players who would play at a really, really high level in sixes. Of course they would. But also, the PLL put a product on display that meant something and those guys played for something yeah to your point yeah the the strength of the pro product are the players and i was uh, i'll echo kark i was just amazed at their effort they they played hard every single second you know for me sixes is about simplicity the brilliance of sixes is the simplicity and you think about all you need is five sticks one goalie stick you can play it on a small field youth youth players can play it without equipment you can play it to to uh varying levels of contact. Uh, and I think we saw the tactics evolve because what I saw on Wednesday and Thursday, let's say, was not as uh, buttoned up as what I saw during the weekend. It was really good. I think I think the players and coaches learned a lot about tactics. But getting back to simplicity, Cotter, I spend so much time with RG3, Mark Jones, my football people, my wrestling people, explaining lacrosse. What are the different stick designations? What's a FOGO? What's offsides? And sixes is simple. It's basketball on grass. And Naismith took the origins of basketball are in lacrosse. And now we kind of go full circle. We take basketball and put it on a lacrosse field. That simplicity, I think, is so fan friendly uh, for, for the game to, to, to you know, garner new fans. No fogos, no poles. You have guys like... Christian Mazzone showing how slick he is around the cage. That was something else too, Clark. I think a lot of the defensive guys were like, you know, Alex Smith, like I can score. I can score goals too, just like anybody else can score. So I think they were like, yeah, we're known for a certain position on the field and we're known for our athleticism, but we've got some skill too. And I think they wanted to put that on display. And they did. To your point, Q, it was just positionless lacrosse. Everybody has to eat on the offensive end and the defensive end too. And have getting matchups, you know, so much of the field game is about let me create a matchup, whether it's big, little, whatever the case may be. That was still the case. But if you were watching, you really wouldn't know it unless you knew that Jackson Morrow was not going to defend Daniel Bacaro very well. Like Bacaro has Morrow on him. He's like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this. So it was cool to be able to see in that regard some of the offensive guys playing defense um, and taking pride in it, too. That was a big part, too. You know, they took pride in playing defense. Um, and they wanted to win. I mean, the coaches wanted to win. Kobe Smith slammed his helmet down when they lost. I saw Marcus Holman rip his jersey off and, and go into the locker room after a loss. You know, it's like that was the most important part about it, to your point, Clark, was everybody wanted to win. And Stephen Brooks, who's the interim head coach, he has something to prove. And he oh, it. I think he did prove something, that he he is a viable candidate for that permanent job at the Atlas. But I think – this was great for the sport of lacrosse. And I mentioned earlier the whole idea behind youth lacrosse. I think this is 
is a red flag, is an alarming type moment for the sport of lacrosse that youth lacrosse needs to be played in a sixes format. It will be more engaging. It will be more inclusive. Like you said, Quint, with equipment, without equipment, it's fast-paced. Uh, the youth game right now is, is at a situation where, honestly, it's, it's, it's questioned in terms of getting new participants because of the fact that it's so skill-specific towards a position rather than the whole idea of the concept of lacrosse. So I think I think that's a a a moment in time for me at least where we need to say let's stop what we're doing. I've heard Casey Powell talk about speed lacrosse for years, and he's right. It, it's a way to engage the game. It's a way for stick skills to be enhanced. And all these defenders who are who are playing short stick and sixes, watch what happens when you're a young kid and you're playing sixes and then you pick up a pole watch how much better your stick skills are even though the stick is bigger your hands are better your hand-eye coordination the way that you traffic through through a clear all that stuff will go hand in hand and the last thing i'll say about six the goalies those guys are insane all right i i think those guys need to be padded up a little bit more in that in that venue because i think they will i, I they think will. they the have to they have yeah. to that is an and people awesome. say people say shrink the goals for this well if you shrink the goals the goalies will actually get hit more yeah, if you shrink the goals, the goalies will get hit more. But also that that takes away from the whole in inclusive aspect of the sport. What are we going to have? How many different size cages are yeah. we going to have? Yeah. You know? Right. Because uh, I, I want to wrap up on the sixes. Uh, kind of like, I, I like the ping in the corners. Like there was so many gr uh, unbelievable placement shots. Yeah. Yes. These guys know how to how to hit that cage. Could probably yeah. could probably back up the two point line to its to that, its that, that would be that would be a a, a point I think of debate. Uh, you know the Rabel brothers did an amazing job I thought packaging this, uh, securing a world class venue. The St James is unbelievable. And and Cotto, I want to finish up with, what were the TV challenges or lessons you learned? Challenges outside of of working with the two boils, of course. But is is there anything that you take away here? that you think uh, we can do better on the college side and the pro side during the summer? I mean, it's a great question. It's, it's hard to put them both together because the one thing we learned doing these sixes is it's okay to miss a goal. It's okay to miss something that happened because there's so much of it going on and you still want to tell stories. I think the, the takeaway is storytelling is still important, whether it's Romar Dennis trying to make a team, whether it's, uh, you know, Kevin Rogers, the same thing. That was a big storyline throughout the, the week with Cole Williams, his play. Like, these guys are really, really almost trying to, uh, you know, audition. And that was a big part of it. So I think storytelling is still still at the, at the forefront when, when it comes to these games. And you don't want to make sure that you're – you want to make sure you're telling them and not just doing X's and O's the whole time. Coming up this weekend, I'll be at Johns Hopkins at 2 o'clock against St. Joe's. Uh, then I got to hustle to BWI. I got I to fly – I got a really tight, tight flight. I'm pushing it. Uh, I got to get to the Big 12 Wrestling Championships on Sunday. Friday, Kark, I know you're going to be watching BC against North Carolina women's Friday, March 3rd at 4 p.m. on ESPNU. That is a rematch of that amazing championship game last, last year at Hopkins. You guys are working next Tuesday together uh, at Homewood, I believe. Virginia right. and Hopkins. going to change the booth for us? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's I wouldn't call it a booth. I'd call it I'd call it an outdoor hunting shack. Uh, I, I was there for six hours on Saturday in 33 degree, degree weather. I don't do know how you, I don't know how you did it. Look, I think that Great has an incredible no. vantage point. Maybe the maybe the best vantage point in all of college lacrosse. 
But the booth is, come on, like, what, what are we doing? Hopkins always likes to, to put out their chest. And I'll say this because my brother's a Hopkins alum of, of how strong the alumni base is and, and, and how it's all lacrosse down at Homewood. I mean, do something with the press box. Honestly, guys like Brian Carcaterra, my brother, I'm calling you out. Saul Kuman, Dan Denahan, come visit us one day and, and see the working conditions <laughs> in the press box. Like I said, Johnny Marcus, Johnny Marcus, when your son takes a visit to Hopkins, I want yeah. you up in the booth. The whole Back time. up the truck, gentlemen. We love going to Homewood. We love the games. We love the venue as a whole. But if the if the weather is not in our favor, Quint, that, that place is, it's an icebox, man. I, I, I love the vantage point. I mean, you're hovering over the field. You can hear the coaches. Uh, you know, you can feel the band. It, it's it's a great place to, to broadcast across. And we're often we're often up in level seven, like at the University of Maryland or at Ohio State. And you know, vantage they, points second to none. I'm just saying, you know, the, the actual confines of the press box, it's like you said, it's a shack. The dome's pretty a lot, though. I mean, it's like, let's be honest, it, it, name a stadium where they said, you know what, let's not forget about the guys calling the game, the men and women calling the game. Let's make sure they have an adequate and a great area to call games from. Give me one stadium in lacrosse that has a great press box to call games from. There's not many of them. Syracuse, that's, that is a great vantage point and a great press box. That's probably, probably the best one. After that, I don't know what Ohio State is like. Yeah, you're I'm outside. You're outside, exposed at Clockner in Virginia. You're right. Yeah, Clockner, you're out. You're you're outside. Coskin is a tiny little place. Notre Dame, you're in the press box with like all the writers yelling and screaming, and they're looking back at you like, "We please." All right, fine. Back? I take it back. I apologize. No, even North Carolina, Joe Bresci. Hey, Joe, I thought you loved us. That press box is terrible to call a game in. The sweat box. Uh, Cotter, I saw you posted a picture on Instagram from a, a little sightseeing in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, you, would you find a gym? Did you, did, did you uh, look at some monuments? What'd you do? Um, well, the, first of all, we're at the St. James, which has like, when we were there, there was lacrosse games going on, obviously. Uh, North Carolina was playing Maryland and club hockey. There was a volleyball clinic with about 10,000 kids learning about volleyball in a massive gym. And I walked in and again, credit to the PLL because I walked in and I said, Hey, my name's Chris. And I didn't even get the last name out. The guy behind the counter goes, Cotter, right? You're good all week. You can work out here whenever you want. Yeah, he my- saw the size of your muscles. That's why. Casa, Stu Casa. So I worked out there all week. It was great before the games. I would just come in a little early. Cotter, nice. can I tell you something? I was worried about you this summer when you had shoulder surgery, they took the gym away for you from you for months. And I, I honestly, I, I was worried about you in, in terms of just your, your happiness and, and the way that you attack life. Dude, I saw some pictures this weekend of you. You look jacked. You look back. <laughs> I am so happy for you, brother. It is, you know, <laughs> He's back. there's a lot of truth to that, though. There's truth to that because if I can't, you know, I'm really worried about injury because if I get injured, I can't work out. You know, I want to work out hard, but then I don't want to get hurt because, like you said, I, I was out for – basically two months last summer without being able to, my workout was writing my name on the wall in cursive. That was my workout. With my yeah. Dude, listen, man, when it comes to you, when you have your weights and you're able to go to the gym, you're one of the most enjoyable people I can be around. When someone takes that away from you, dude, I'm running for the hills. You add no value to me. <laughs> <laughs> no added value that's great you're right i agree with you people need those things though whether it's 
whatever it is that you do that you enjoy doing, that's mine. I mean, some people like reading, some people like sculpting, whatever it is, mine's the gym. Kark, you were up in the dome with Joe Beninati, the great Dottie, Syracuse, Carolina, uh, in a game that I, I thought was going to be pretty compelling. And the heels just trampled the orange defense. Well, give us some, uh, give us some takeaways from, from your trip up north. Well, I think Carolina, it was, it was telling that they finally found the back of the, the net. I think in the Hopkins-Carolina game, there was a streak in that game where they were one for 14 shooting at some point in that game. And then when they played Ohio State and they were held to five goals in the second half, they were one for 19. So it wasn't a matter of them like not getting their shots. They absolutely put on a shooting clinic in the Dome on Saturday. Uh, the outside shooting, the changing of levels. Will Mark was fantastic for the first four games for Syracuse. And I felt like they scouted him well because we talked about it too, Quinn. I think he's one of the better goalies in the country. And I think he's going to rebound. But he's a bigger guy who likes to squat low and he likes to flop. There were multiple times in that game where Carolina guys had time and room and they had their sticks low. They baited Mark to go low and they were stinging high corners all afternoon. So the shooting was, was spectacular. I also think they played with tremendous purpose. Joe Bresci lost his father, Robert Bresci on Friday. He wasn't with the team at the walkthrough or the practice on Friday. When I went up there to watch the heels the day before he showed up the day of the game, there was snow. It took them like seven hours to get to Syracuse. They played inspired for that man. They love their coach. Um, and they know what he is going through. So they played with passion and purpose. They were fighting for every ground ball. That team deserved to win. Syracuse didn't get hammered at the faceoff dot the way that I thought they would. I think they won 47%. You would take that a lot of times if you're Syracuse based on, on what the projections were going to be. But Syracuse has some elite offensive talent. There's four or five guys that can play on any team in the country. Their man up is absolutely silly. If you guys watch the tape of their man up, they moved the ball at, at hyperspeed. They came in hitting at like 78%. They were over 50% in this game. They have four or five guys that I think could play on any ACC team, could play anywhere in the country offensively. Defensively, I'm concerned how many guys do they have that can match up against ACC level type quickness, type skill, because you're going to face Pat Cavanaugh. You're going to face Connor Schellenberger. You're going to face all of these teams who have tons of dodging attackmen. And they were beaten one-on-one, -on -one too. As much as I talked about the shooting of North Carolina, guys like Logan McGovern, um, you know, guys like Lance Tillman, they own their one-on-one -on -one matchup. So that, that's a serious concern for Syracuse. Syracuse uh, giving up tons of goals in that game. Carolina plays Denver this weekend. That's, that's an interesting non-conference game. Ohio State-Cornell play on Saturday that's a rematch game of the first rounder last year right the, the game you guys called and, and had the, uh, the the tough travel getting up to yeah. Cornell think oh, about yeah. that think about that Clark remember that game Ohio State came out blistering right they were really on fire and then we had that huge storm come through that they had to delay the game and remember we had a shot at Nick Myers walking off the field shaking his head because I think he kind of knew that it was like, man, we had we were playing really great, and now we're going to have to go in the locker room, this tiny little locker room up there at Cornell for an hour and a half, and who knows how they're going to come out. And it was Cornell that came out great. Oh, yeah, they did. And, you know, I think this, this matchup's a little bit more interesting 
for me. Quint, jump in on this. This is my my initial thought. C.J. Kurtz, the Cornell freshman last year, had seven goals in that game. They didn't have a guy that could match up against him. Bobby Van Buren is turning into one of the, the better young defenders in the country. He guarded Connor Schellenberger last week, did a fantastic job. He was only a freshman himself. But now you have Marcus Hudgens as well, who's always defended the number ones. And he's a bigger guy, and he can play a lefty because he's a righty in curse. So I think curse is going to have a different kind of matchup this time around round two. What's your thought? Yeah, I, I, I would think that this game is going to go down to, it's going to be a 60 minute game. Uh, you got Adler going against uh, Myers at the other end. Uh, Chase Erland's been really good so far this season in goal for Cornell. Uh, both teams are really stubborn. You know, both teams stick to their identities and they're very similar. These are hardworking programs. Uh, I think this weekend's interesting. You know, last week when we talked about the Ivy League losing the three games, Yale falling to Penn State, Princeton to Maryland, and Penn to Duke. This weekend's just as important for the Ivies. Ohio State, Cornell, Princeton, Georgetown. And think about Penn State and Penn. The Quakers are at wow. Penn State. So These it's last another two weeks have been sick non-conference, man. Maybe exactly. the two best weeks we can remember. Exactly. These February and March games, Cotter, it's what we don't see in college football. It's got, big, it's big 10 against SEC. It's packed. I mean, we, we got, and I didn't even mention the Maryland Notre Dame game, which is really the featured game of the year. And a game a lot of people thought might be a national championship game a year ago or a semifinal game had the committee not uh, ignored Notre Dame's uh, win streak at the end of the season. And now that win streak continues this year. Uh, yeah. Any, any thoughts on that, guys, that the Maryland-Notre Dame game this weekend? Well, what's interesting to me, Clark, about Notre Dame is, like, uh, I feel like they're the quietest number two team, you know, of all time right now. You know, everyone's been talking about the Ivies and the Maryland loss and, and sort of – but, you know, here's Notre Dame without Jake Taylor. Remember how good they were when they finally found him in his spot last year? They won six in a row to end the year. They were looking unstoppable. Then he tears his ACL – and what is it? it's Richie Art, Mr. Deli's, you know, move to be in that spot now. And it seems to be clicking pretty well for him. Here's where the tests really start. You and I have him against Ohio State next week at Arlotta, but this is a real test for him. And I, I thought that, you know, Richard Deli coming in there and taking over for Jake Taylor, that's a huge move for them. It, it is. But Jake Taylor could be back this year, too. And he's masterful inside. And you can't keep him off the field because of the way that he moves, he finishes, and his hands are elite. To me, Notre Dame, I feel, holistically, is the better team. The thing that Maryland has going for them is they have two cover defenders in Brett Makar and Ajax Zapatello. Notre Dame has two big-time dodging attackmen in Chris Cavanaugh and Pat Cavanaugh. Chris Cavanaugh turned the corner. Pat Cavanaugh was out for most of the fall. He gained like 15 pounds. He was going into practice every day as the number one option at attack. So he grew and he learned. If you watch some of the moves that he's made in the early season, he's big time. So that one-two punch with the Kavanaugh's is, is super, super high end. But they also play well off the ball too. So, you know, if you look at their stats against Georgetown, they scored, I think, 18 goals. The Kavanaugh's didn't go absolutely berserk. That's a positive sign. It shows me that that offense is balanced. They have guys up top like Dobson and and and, and Gray at the midfield that can score goals. And I, I just think last year when they got robbed, and we, we were very vocal about it. When they didn't make the playoffs, I thought they were the second best team in the country behind Maryland. They didn't make the playoffs. They have essentially their whole team back. 
and added some key pieces as well in the transfer portal. Notre Dame's the better team, but Maryland is Maryland. And I don't think they've lost in College Park in, in, in how long? When, how long uh, has it been? Maybe back before the pandemic. Uh, yeah, you know, one thing I Albany think maybe? Did Albany beat them once there? Not sure. Nova beat them. Uh, yeah, Nova beat them in 19, I think. Yeah. Or 20. Face-offs. Face-offs yeah. and goaltending in this one. Weirman, Weirman could have a significant advantage. Uh, but then Notre Dame's got the more experienced goalie with Liam Entman now going head-to-head with uh, Maryland starting a freshman, Brian Ruppel, who's outstanding. But this this will be uh, this will be a pressure-packed environment for I him. hope they drop the cameras. Otherwise, bring your bifocals. Uh, as I said, I'll be at Hopkins St. Joe's. Uh, tell me about St. Joe's, guys. I love St. Joe's. Connor, you did that game with me in the first round against Yale, right? Yeah, Yale barely escaped by the skin. Yeah, that's why I bring it up. Yeah, I mean they have they have cool. some high end offensive talent. I mean this guy Levi Anderson, Quint, you and I have been talking yeah. about it offline. He he's a he's a guy that will play in two pro leagues. He's like six foot three. He's played midfield. He's played attack. He's a lefty Canadian with box background, obviously, but he's he's like an automatic hat trick. I just find that he is 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 the glue to that that offense, and they have pieces around him with. Uh, let, yeah, let me throw some names at you, and because uh, I'm looking at, I got the, I got my board here. This is a, you know, you guys know I got my board. Don't go anywhere without my board. Levi Anderson, 6'4", 205 grad student, Calgary, Alberta, sixty four points last year. Uh, Josh Byrne, clone. He had three game, three goals in that game against Yale. Yeah, he's 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 probably not as as loose and and fluid with the stick as is Josh Byrne, but he's still he's still very creative. But Josh Byrne, it's like. Everything is swooping motions where Anderson's a little bit tighter to his body. Um, Dane Smith. Uh, yeah. Matt, Matt Bomer. Playmaker Bomer is a, is a strong righty bull dodger. He gave Chris uh, fake fits last week. He's from North Carolina. And I think that he's, he's a second dodging op- option at attack. When you have two Dodgers at attack, you give teams fits because not every team is like Maryland with two shutdown defenders. He's a, a serious dodging threat. He's a bull dodger. Picture, picture a guy like Chris Cotter just meathead dodging you to the right right side of goal line extended and, and hitting a G. And then they got the inside guy. You got Carter Page there? Yeah, Carter Page, 51 goals last Finishes year. Finishes everything. He's, he's, he's your quintessential Greece offensive guy from Canada. He wears, he wears 62. He's just like, I don't care what number. What Just give me any number you got. I don't care. Okay, what you're... good. You go, Glad you brought that up, Cotter. Yeah. I got a 62, a 52, yeah. and a 63. That Those are offensive players. Yeah, that's just like, he, I don't care. I don't even want to I got, I got Lawrence Taylor starting at defense. I got a 56 and a 60. <laughs> I, I got a shorty wearing 50. And you a have Levi wearing, Birch on your board? Is Levi yeah, Birch? Yeah, he's, he's 60. I got a 51. I got a goalie wearing 59. What do they Connor. throw out one through? What do, Taylor Ray throws out one through 20. Guys, we're going to start the roster at 50, and we'll go up to 99. Didn't Virch have two goals in that game, the defender last year? He did. He had two goals against Yale. He was a member of that uh, Team Canada that played in Ireland. He looks like, you know, they do some sub games. When Zach Cole wins every face-off and they sub through the box, occasionally they'll break him over the midfield line, like like an old uh, hangman play. You know, so so it looks like they're going back towards the midfield line and subbing out of the substitution box. But instead, 60 breaks over. Yep. St. Joe's was the team in the preseason. When everyone asked me, like, who's your – Who's your sleeper? I wasn't going to 
you know, tell you your, your, your typical top six or top eight team a lot. They were 20 in one poll last year. That is not a number 20 team. This is a team that honestly, because of their experience a year ago and going to Yale and being in a fourth quarter game in the first round of the playoffs, they're scary as can be. Like, I, I don't want to play St. Joe's. Like, I, I think that's going to be a phenomenal game against Hopkins. It's a game, yeah. though, I think St. Joe's, I know this sounds crazy, and you could argue that Hopkins has to win. I think for St. Joe's psyche, playing on national television, going down to Homewood, this is a huge game for them. I, I think they have to win this game mentally. I know that sounds probably a little nutty, but this is a game that they they should win, they could win, and I think they almost have to in terms of where they stand in the national stage. Zach Cole? Last week against Providence, 24 of 24 faceoffs with 22 ground balls. Okay. I'm, I'm, I get, I'm watching the game. How cool is that? It's on the app. Providence is up 3 nothing with Bob Benson. I'm texting Bobby. I'm like, how'd you lose this game? Well, St. Joe's goes on a 19 3 run to end the game. Oh, man. Uh, some goalie issues with St. Joe's, but you, you guys met Taylor Ray, St. Joe's head coach uh, last, last year. He's a former Duke player. So really involved with the team Canada at all levels. What what was Coach Ray like? I mean, I thought he was like really Clark. I, I kind of remember him as being a guy that's very much like we belong here. Like this is this is what we've been you know building towards. And it's not a big stage to to go to Yale and have to beat the Eli's in the postseason. To him, I I felt like he felt like we've been building up to this, and and this is exactly where we should be in a game like that. Yeah, he's got a plan. I think he coaches with conviction. I think his players have fun, but he's also very organized and means business. It's interesting. When you think of Canadian coaches, oftentimes you think of offensive guys, right? That throw the ball all over the place, super creative. His his background in field lacrosse is as a defender at Duke. Uh, so he brings a different dimension. I think he understands what type of offensive player to recruit to a system that is conducive to Canadian finishers. But I also think he has a strong understanding of, of American field defense based on the fact that he played at Duke as a defender. I think he checks a lot of boxes. I, I think he's a, a, a nice blend of old school and new school. Didn't he, didn't he get his head shaved at, 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 uh, at the end of last season along yeah. with a lot of the team, right? Like, he, yeah, he did. He gets, he's kind of he like, gets, like an older brother to the guys on the team in a lot of ways, I feel. Ended up winning the NEC, NEC title last year, 12th year. Duke, a really talented defender at Duke, and then in the NLL, uh, a tough guy, guy you don't want to mess with. Uh, so that's my assignment on Saturday. Clark, you're dealing with a snow day today. I'm dealing with Grace's first lacrosse practice yesterday, her first week of practice. Uh, as, How nervous as, were you? Don't lie. Uh, I, I watched the last 10 minutes. I, I was not nervous. I mean, other than not being able to catch her throw, she really fits out there at athletically. Connor, uh, he wasn't nervous. Guaranteed Quint had like <laughs> binoculars through a bush, like right. two miles away. <laughs> taking notes. No, taking you know, notes. Because right. she's so new. Three weeks ago, she decides she wants to, you know, make the transition from gymnastics to lacrosse. She actually Full transition, like no more gymnastics? No more gymnastics? She's still doing it. So she had okay. practice, gymnastics practice for three hours last night after. Is there anybody, Clark, is there anybody who needs a driver's license more than Grace? I mean, like at some point in time, because Q, she is, she's, I mean, Kayla is too, but Grace is like doing 10 things at one time. Oh. She gets her driver's license and she, she, she can Look, go to these I, I, I applaud her and it tells you a lot about her character to take a risk because Quint lives in an area in Maryland where a lot of these 
A lot of these girls picked up sticks in, in first grade. And here she is as a ninth grader taking that chance. It tells you that she believes in herself. Um, you've done a phenomenal job raising her. You're a great dad. And I, I, I applaud this. And, it, and it's also, it's refreshing too, because so many kids, when they want to play lacrosse at, at sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, or ninth grade in this, in this case, a lot of times they're afraid because they say, oh, my friends have been playing for five, six years. Where when we grew up, so many so many guys and so many girls picked up sticks when they were in ninth grade. And it's a, it's a different time. So I applaud Grace. I wish her nothing but the best. And she's a phenomenal athlete. She's strong as can be. Her core is ridiculous in terms of, of her strength. She's going to surprise some people. Yeah, you know, we, we introduced lacrosse to her when she was six, Clark, uh, Cotter. We sent her down the street to the McDonough camp uh, for girls. And during the summer, it's like a Monday through Friday thing. And Monday she comes off the bus and she's crying. Uh, they, they, they made her go to the bathroom in a porta potty on a hundred degree day in an outside porta potty as a six-year-old. And she quit. She says, I am never playing lacrosse again. So, so young coaches need to understand the holistic approach. You know, practice needs to be a safe haven. It needs to be fun. Don't be sending kids to 110 degree porta potties because you'll ruin their experience. So now here we are what uh seven or eight years later and she's finally coming back to the game yeah i think it's i think it's tremendous uh don't look she's your daughter you're so driven you're so you're so organized and and, and focused and i know she has a lot of of you in her don't bet against her now the best thing about it is it's just bringing us together in the yard uh you know that's, because that's we, what i tell people all the you time have I, mean, catch. I have a catch yeah. is a discussion a catch is a talk. A catch every, is, is subtle chemistry between parent and child. Every every day I'm outside with my daughter. That's that's what we accomplish. And, you know, my daughter started playing when she was really, really young and loves the sport and watches it nonstop. And it's such a big part of her life. But if you were to ask her and you were to ask me, the, the best times that we have are those unorganized moments in our backyard or when we go to the turf without a plan. And we do that a lot. I think I think are are the greatest times we spend together with the sport. Appreciate your time today, gentlemen. Cotter, get some rest. I, I know last week was pretty taxing. You guys will be back on the air together on Tuesday, March 7th, Virginia at Hopkins. It's a Tuesday turmoil game at Homewood Field between the you know, longstanding rivals. I'm, I'm glad they're able to find a slot for that game on the schedule. It's always a good one. We'll get to see Virginia's offense. Uh, appreciate it, boys. Have, have a great weekend. Clark, good luck with your snow day. Thank you very much. Cotter, make sure you get your lift in. What is your lift today? Today, I mean, after a long week on the road, chest, baby. Chest, yes. <laughs> I love it.